Well, if you're just joining us, we're in week three of a series that we've been calling Whatever It Takes, and we've been just diving through relationships. And uh, everybody, whether you're married, divorced, single, it doesn't matter, everybody deals with relational issues, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with marriage, a coworker, whatever it is. So we've been talking about the deeper things in relationships and how can we make those um, better. And we were supposed to, if you remember what I said last week, um, I I went back and listened to the recording of myself last week, and if you were here last week, I I was hoarse, and I I sounded like a frog last week. I'm just going to be honest with you. It was pretty bad. But, um... So my wife and I were supposed to be teaching this weekend, and uh, we're supposed to be doing it together, but uh, unfortunately, sickness is still running through my house, so I've still got kids sick and all that kind of stuff, so continue to pray for us. This flu season, I'm just, how many of you guys are ready for it to be over? I'm ready to go back into like normal society and participate with the rest of the world. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to extend the series actually one more week, so my dad will be preaching here next week uh, in the marriage series, and then my wife and I will do week five. So we always do one together, so we just moved it to week five. But the whole intent of this entire series, we've had one goal, and we've said it this way. Our goal of this series is to regret-proof your deathbed. And, And what we mean by that is that one day when you find yourself and your time is up, you're expired and you're laying down and you're really close to death and you're thinking about your relationships, specifically with your spouse, that you would not have any regrets. And what I mean by that, no regrets in going, man, I wish I could have just worked it out, or I wish we would have talked through that, or I wish I would have stuck around a little bit longer. And the way that we do that is by living intentionally right now. Um, Most of us don't live intentional lives. Most of us, uh, we just wake up in the morning and it's kind of like, what do I do today and what is my day going to look like? And oftentimes we don't really live intentional relationships. And so this morning what I want to talk about, I've titled this message, Weeds. Weeds. And uh, how many of you, any gardeners in here? Anybody like to garden? Uh, I hate gardening. My wife has tried her hand at gardening. I was like, babe, look, I love you, but you got the black thumb. It just doesn't work, right? Um, But how many of you guys know um, relationships, in my mind, it just seems like one long gardening exercise? (laughs) Um, Because if you garden, here's what I do know about gardening, you have to be very intentional about it. There's a lot of prep work that goes into it. There's a lot of planning that goes into it. You, okay, where do I want to put this garden so it can get sunlight? And how far do I want to dig? And what kind of soil do I want to, um, do I want to put in this? I remember uh, years ago, this was almost 10 years ago now, when my wife and I first got married, we got into our first house. And, you know, she has all these dreams about the house. And she's like, I want a garden. And I'm, I'm th- the only thing I can think of is like, yeah, you want a garden, but I'm going to be the guy digging up everything. I don't want to do that, you know. So, um, so she's like, listen, here's where I want the garden. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, I mean, I'll go to Lowe's and get you a little pot. Like, we can put it in the pot. You know, she's like, no, I want this garden. And she's like pointing to basically the entire backyard. And I'm just going, oh, my gosh. And so I remember <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll make you a garden. Do I have any idea what I'm doing? Zero. 
okay? So I remember I go in, I'm like, okay, how do I do this? This is full of grass. I take a shovel, I dig down deep, I turn it over, and I'm like, oh, there's dirt. So I just turn the grass around, and I did that for like this entire row. So I've essentially, she's like, all right, so did you till the dirt? Did you get all the grass out? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I flipped it around, you know, that's, that's all I did. And I remember she plants all these vegetables in this garden, and like within two weeks, the grass has grown over. There are weeds everywhere. And she's like, what did you do to my garden? And I was like, well, you know, I mean, I didn't really till the dirt or anything. I just kind of turned it over. Now, if you look at somebody's house that has this lush garden, there is one word, at least in my mind, that comes to mind. If they have that garden, they have worked very hard to keep it that way, right? They've been very intentional about it. They go out every single day and they pluck the weeds. My mom has these flower beds at her house and every time I go over, it seems like she's always in her garden pulling weeds out. I'm like, that is, to me, it just sounds like a waste of your life, to be honest with you. Um, But she's always going out there and intentionally pulling the weeds. Now, why is she pulling the weeds? Because if she does not pull the weeds, what happens? All of your effort, all of your hard work into creating this garden will one day be gone and it will be overtaken by these weeds. If you're not careful, the weeds will eventually overtake your garden. It will choke out the fruit. It will kill the flowers. It will ultimately take over. But here's what I find interesting. When you look at a house... With somebody that has this beautiful garden, you can look at it and you can immediately intellectually know that takes hard work. That takes intentional effort to look at that garden every single day and tend to it. But here's the funny thing. We go into marriage and we just want our marriage to blossom. We just want it to grow. We just want it to be great. But we never pick the weeds and we're just going, why in the world is it not at a place that I want it to be? I'll tell you why. Because we're not intentional about pulling the weeds out. We're not intentional about diving into the depths of our relationship and going, okay, what are the things that's choking the fruit? What are the things that are holding us back? What are the things that are hindering us? The truth is long-term relationships require commitment and hard work. Commitment and hard work. So here's what I want to do today. I want to help you have a relationship specifically with your spouse that is not just to like, I can get by. But hopefully you can get to a place in your life where you feel like you're thriving in marriage. You feel like, man, we've got this beautiful lush garden. We're intentional about pulling the weeds. We talk about the things that bother us. And we're diving through all those things. But if you look at a garden, it's always easy to tell the gardener who got lazy, right? It's always easy to tell, like, the gardener that... I remember when we, when we were looking at our new house... Um, I told my wife, I said, listen, from the get-go, like if this thing has flowers, bushes, or anything, it has to be super low maintenance or I'm cutting it all down. (laughs) It's just how it's going to be, like low maintenance or I'm cutting it down. But it's always easy to tell the gardeners that are lazy, right? All of a sudden, maybe they realize, okay, I'm going to plant this plant here, I'm going to plant this one here, and then they got a little lazy and then the lines start getting crooked. And then all of a sudden you'll see like there's weeds in the flower bed. And all of a sudden the weeds start taking over and the garden doesn't really look good. And there's only one reason it doesn't look good. One word that defines why it doesn't look good. Neglect. Neglect. And and I'll tell you this. 
most marriages are ruined by that simple one word, neglect. Because here's the truth. A lot of us know the issues that we face in our marriage, but we just don't have the conversation. We're scared to have the conversation, or maybe the conversation is awkward, or maybe we know the conversation is going to go really long and we're lazy and we don't want to have the conversation because we don't want to stay up till three in the morning arguing, right? So neglect, oftentimes, here's what I want you to understand, neglect is one of the number one reasons why relationships deteriorate. Because when you started out, remember when you first got married, the honeymoon, man, you're pulling the weeds all the time. Okay, what, what, how did, did I do something that angered you? You're talking about, and as you get older, it's almost like, yeah, she'll get over it, right? And, and hopefully, if we don't talk about it for three or four days, like, it just goes away. Here's the truth, it never goes away. And I'll tell you how you know that it never goes away. When you're arguing, and like six months later, she brings it up again. <laughs> you're like, wait, where did that come? Like, you've been stuffing that for almost a year now? Like, it never goes away. Eventually, it will come out. But here's the truth. If you're committed to pulling the weeds, here's what's going to happen. If you're committed to pulling the weeds, you'll end, eventually start planting seeds, and you'll get to a place where you're having fruit in your marriage. But if you're not pulling the weeds, if you're neglecting certain things within the marriage, those weeds will take over your marriage. Solomon actually talks about this in uh, chapter 2, verse 15 of Song of Solomon. He says this. He doesn't call it weeds, he calls it foxes. He says, then you must protect me from the foxes. Foxes on the prowl, foxes who would like nothing better than to get into our flowering garden. So this conversation that's going on right now is actually a wife talking to her husband, and it's the bride saying, hey, if you want this type of intimacy that we have in year one of our marriage, then you're going to have to fight for me continually. It's saying right now what we have is good, but it's not always going to stay this way. The scripture is saying this, the foxes refer to anything in our marriage that we're neglecting. Anything that we're, that we're neglecting, anything that we're just passing over, anything that we're just shoving under the rug, hoping that it will go away. It's the tough conversation that we don't want to have. It's the disagreement about finances and that conversation that we're not going to have. It's the disappointment in our sexual lives, but it's a conversation that we don't want to have because it's just going to get awkward. Whatever we're neglecting, the scripture is telling us those are going to be the foxes that will come into your garden and begin to slowly eat away at your marriage. Here's what I know about marriage. Nobody, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I think I want to end it. You know what, I think it's over. That never happens. It is this slow burn over time. It is things that we have neglected, things that we have shoved down, things that we have pushed aside, and things that we hope the other person will forget about, even things that we hope that we will forget about. But here's what I want you to understand. Whatever you neglect will eventually destroy your garden. Whatever you neglect will eventually eat away at your marriage. So here's the truth. By now, some of you are starting to realize that there needs to be change, right? We're starting to realize, okay, I need to have some conversations about these things. But the truth is, a lot of us just don't know where to start. Because maybe I'm talking about these things, and you're like, yeah, well, I have a list <laughs> of like things that we, I, I mean, I got 10 things that we have not been talking about. Or I've got a list of things that we've been neglecting. Where do I 
start. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about how do we pull the weeds? How do we kill the foxes? How do we practically do some of those things? But I want to read a scripture in Jeremiah 1.10, and I think that um, it's so important to understand the principle. I'll read it, and then I'll explain what's going on. It says this, Jeremiah 1.10, See, I have set for you this day over nations and over kingdoms. Now, I want you to notice a few words in this scripture. To pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, and then he says to build and to plant. So let me just kind of tell you what's going on in the scripture. God is actually telling Jeremiah how he's going to change Israel. He's telling Jeremiah, here's how I'm going to institute change into this nation. Here's how I'm going to turn this nation around. And he uses these words. He says, first I'm going to pluck it up, then I'm going to break it down, and then I'm going to build, and then I'm going to plant. I want you to notice the pattern in here. What God is saying in, these, in this message is saying this. That God is saying real change has two sides. Deconstruction and construction. So, so here's what I want you to understand. In any healthy relationship, before God can begin to produce good fruit inside of us, before he can begin to build good things, oftentimes there's things in us that must be torn down. And the reason that we never get to the part where we start planting good fruit and we start planting good seed and we get to the the part that is really profitable and the part that we like and the part that we enjoy is because we're not willing to go through the deconstruction phase. Because that phase often hurts. It's, It's the phase where God takes the wrecking ball and he begins to come wrecking through certain parts of your life and says, okay, if you want to be at a better place spiritually, if you want to be at a better place financially, if you want to be at a better place relationally, here's some things in your life that I have to remove from you first because these are the things that are holding you back. And we kind of go, whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on, God, I don't like that. I heard an example of a guy, it was a story that he told years ago, and he said, oftentimes, um, God is the person that remodels our house. And so you go in, and you go into this market, and you look at this house, and you say, okay, I want this house. I understand it's going to need some work. You fall in love with it. You got a vision for it, right? You got a vision for what the kitchen is going to look like, what the living room is going to look like, what the bedrooms are going to look like. And you come in, and God is the carpenter, and you say, okay, God, listen, I just want to paint these walls, want to do a little reconstruction in the kitchen, but I don't want to change anything big. And God comes in, and he starts knocking down a wall, and you're like, okay, yeah, I like that, and then he knocks down another wall, and then he knocks down another wall, and you're like, oh, hold on, God, hold on, I didn't want you to knock out that many walls. And then all of a sudden he comes in and he tears the whole kitchen out. And he doesn't just remodel it. He starts ordering all kinds of new fixtures and doing all these things. And he starts tearing down all these walls. And before you know it, you have a shell of a house and you're going, wait, what are you doing? And I love God's reply in this example. He says, hold on, I I never had the intention to remodel the house. I had the intention to rebuild it. I I came in to completely redo the house. I'm not going to use the old walls anymore. I'm going to build new ones. And and here's what happens in in marriage oftentimes. If you want to get to a better place where you're sowing better seeds, here's what you have to understand. You're going to have to be willing to embrace the painful part of deconstruction. And oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it, counseling couples all the time, and they'll say, okay, what do we do, pastor? Fix our marriage. Okay, 
here's what you need to do first, and oftentimes it's something painful, and they're like, oh, no, 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 not that. Just tell me the good stuff. Like, how do we get to the good stuff? Or we're loving each other again. Well, she doesn't trust you, so we got to get to that part. <laughs> so let, let's get to that part. So I want you to understand everything that we're going to talk about, if your marriage is going to operate how you want it to and be fruitful how God wants it to be, we're going to have to get rid of the weeds. We're going to have to pluck some things out. So, what are the weeds that need to be pulled? And hopefully, I want to I kind of point out some weeds that we all have in our marriage. And then hopefully, you can begin to come into a place practically where you go, okay, that's me. That's where we need to have that conversation. I, I do want to remind you if, you, um, if you are taking notes, we're always live on our YouVersion Bible app. Um, if you download that app, you can literally follow along with us, and it has all our notes. But point one, the first weed that I think that we have to address that needs to be pulled is simple, selfishness. Selfishness. Um, I, I remember when I was single, I used to think, man, I am, I'm, not, I'm not a selfish person. Like, I, don't, I didn't think that I was selfish, and I got married, and I was like, I am crazy selfish. Like, I'm super, like, I didn't realize how much bringing another person into my life began to magnify the selfishness in my own life. The truth is, selfishness is, it, it truly is the DNA of every sin. Every sin is rooted in selfishness. Selfishness is the root of the dumb and stupid things that we do. It is the root of the, the pieces of us that say, you know what, I'm putting myself first no matter what. Selfishness is you going to a restaurant and eating the appetizer a whole lot faster than your spouse, hoping that she doesn't eat as much as you do. True story. I do, my wife hates eating appetizers with me. She's like, okay, I had one chip and one little dip of salsa. I was like, well, you should have ate faster, you know. Um, selfishness can look a whole a lot different in many different forms. It can, it can look something like staying busy so that you don't have to tend to the needs of the people in your family. So you can have the excuse of like, well, I'm just busy and I can't have that conversation right now. Well, I'm just busy and I can't, I'm sorry, I can't help you with the kids right now. It's hogging the remote so you can feel in control. True story. Selfishness can be found in many different forms. Selfishness at its core is the reason that many marriages end. So here's the question. Why are we so selfish? Like what is it about us innately deep inside of our being that just says, man, it's all about you anyway? What is that? Because at the core... All of us want to literally be Lord of our life. We want to be the champion. We want to be the one, we want to be the pilot, right? We want to be the ones navigating and guiding our souls. The reason that we're so selfish is because ultimately we want to be Lord of our lives. Isaiah says this, 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way. See, we want our way. And the truth is, for many of us, we feel like our spouse is standing in our way. We want our way so badly, and we see them as somebody like that's saying, no, you can't have that. 
Oh I, oh, I can't go out tonight. Oh, I can't go spend some time with the guys. Oh, I can't do that. You see, when we, we, when we get into that mindset, it becomes all about us anyway. What are the weeds of selfishness in your marriage that are overtaking the garden? See, selfishness has the ability to literally suck the life out of marriages. It has the ability to overtake the garden very quickly. But see, we learn... In God's kingdom, in John 15, 13, it says, Greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You know what I've learned just as a man in marriage? And honestly, I can say this in, in the very beginning of my marriage, I did this very poorly. And finally, at a place almost 10, it took me 10 years to learn it. But it's like, man, my job as a husband, my job as a husband is when I, my head hits the pillow at night, like I should be pretty tired. From serving, from trying to lay down my life, to taking care of my wife, to playing with my kids, to doing all those things as a man. I don't know about you men, but like when I get bored, I'm a dangerous man. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I make stupid decisions. I make stupid decisions when I'm bored. And so the reason that God has designed us to be a little bit stronger than our wives is so that we can rise up and say, you know what, I'm going to be the head of my household. I'm going to lead. You know what the problem is with the church today is we just don't have men stepping up to be men. It's sad, but you see it all in leadership positions. You see it, in, especially in churches. Man, you see women like just grabbing it and saying, I got it. I'm going to do it. And men just going, yeah, I'll just follow her. And you wonder why your family's a wreck, because you're not leading. You're not stepping into the role that God has called you to step into. I just want to challenge you, men, just like as a man-to-man talk for a moment. Like God has called you and designed you to be the leader of the home. Start leading. And I know that's not something that we like to hear sometimes, because we live in a society right now where, you know, men just, we, it's almost like we're losing our man card. We are losing our man card, <laughs> like, you know what, honey, you just be okay. I don't want to offend you. Well, we live in a society now where nobody wants to offend anybody, but the truth is, listen, your home will never be what it needs to be until you step up and be the man that God's called you to be. You've got to get to that place. God's called us to lead. God's he's, he's made our shoulders a little bit broader so that we can take some extra weight that our wives can't sometimes. Men, have you ever had some news, maybe from your child or from a coworker, and you're like, Definitely not tell my wife about that, because right now it would crush her. Because God's made us to carry that around sometimes. And, and sometimes, honestly, I'm just being genuine with you. Sometimes the only thing that we need to repair our marriages is just men standing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to lead. I'm going to stop letting my wife try to drag the card around. I'm going to stop trying to figure out what's going on. I'm going to lead our home, and we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to do this. Amen? The second thing, the second weed that gets involved, and we see this especially in America today, is busyness. Is busyness. Um, I think I said this last year, but too many of us are trying to have $100 conversations in dime moments. We're trying to have $100 conversations in dime moments. Here's what I mean. Our lives have become so busy that we're not having important conversations anymore. Too many of us are doing marriage on the fly. <laughs> we're just trying to figure it out. We're trying to put the puzzle together in midair. 
we're trying to figure it out as we go. And rather than working towards solutions, we're left just putting out fires. You ever find yourself at a place where you're just like, man, why is there just so much drama in our marriage? Because you're not living intentionally. Because you're busying yourself, you're constantly going from one place to another, and you're not having the conversations that you need to have. See, a marriage that is going to grow has to be cultivated. So let's answer the surface question behind that. Why are we so busy? Why are we so busy? The answer might shock you. It's one word, materialism. We're so busy because the truth is we love stuff. We love stuff. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody in here. I mean, I've fallen victim to it so many times. The American dream simply says happiness and fulfillment are found in stuff. And, you know, and and I think the way that we actually disguise this in southwest Louisiana is I don't love stuff. I'm all about faith, family, and the future, right? But yet you continue to work harder and harder and harder to get more stuff. And then when you get more stuff, you have to work harder and harder and harder to maintain the stuff that you have. And so I want to just pose this question today. Is our pursuit for bigger and more, is our pursuit for the American dream actually leaving the people that we care about the most at the wayside? All for the sake of getting more stuff. The truth is we end up becoming slaves to our stuff. The more stuff that we get, the truth is oftentimes the emptier we feel. The emptier we feel. And I'm not saying that having a lot is bad. I'm saying where do your motivations lie in that? Are you working a job just so that you can gain more status and so that you can have more stuff so that people can look at you and say, oh, well, they're successful. See, if we're doing it for the approval of men, if we're doing it for what other people are going to think about us, we're busying ourselves for all the wrong reasons. Let me ask you this. When is the last time you actually prioritize taking your spouse on a date? I don't know about you, but um, my wife and I, like, it is super important for us. The past month, it, I mean, it's almost been non-existent just because of sickness, but we try to make it happen at least once every single week. We try to go on a date. And we try to, ha- on those dates, it's trying to have like intentional conversation. How's your soul? What are you walking through? What's God speaking to you? We talk about the kids. We talk about our future. We talk about those things. And when we do that, when we connect, that's us trying to live intentionally. So now she knows, like if she sees me down one week of like, she's not just wondering like, man, what is wrong with him? Well, she knows the week before we just had this big conversation and she knows that I'm carrying a heavy weight or I'm walking through something heavy and now she's able to pray for me and we go through it together. So if you're not careful, busyness has the ability to make your relationship very mechanical. Like you just wake up, you make your cup of coffee, you do your thing, you're rushing, she's rushing, trying to get kids to school, you're going off to work because you have a meeting, and then you get home, and you make dinner, and then you take kids to softball, and then you do that, and then you come home, and you sit down, and you watch Netflix, and then you go to bed, and then you do it all over again. And in the middle of all that, like, where is the time for intimacy? Where is the time to connect? And if there is any intimacy going on, it's usually just mechanical, because yet again, it's not intentional. So the only times that we find ourselves having meaningful conversations is when we have to. Uh, just want to let you know we have no money in our account. All right, bye. <laughs> like, 
That's how it ends up happening. Or, hey, just want to let you know, so-and-so needs to be picked up at 6 p.m. at this softball field. Can you do that? I can't be there. i got a meeting. Okay, bye. And so the only meaningful conversations that we end up associating ourselves with are only because we have to, not because we want to. Or the only time we actually have sex is because we realize we haven't had it in a long time, so it's like, okay, we better just keep this up, right? And so it becomes mechanical. It becomes something that we don't want to do. It's just we're so busy that it's getting in the way of intimacy. It's getting in the way of our relationships, and it becomes a weed. It becomes a weed that ultimately begins to take over the garden. So I want to ask you a question. Could it be that we work too much because we want too much? Could it be that we work too much because we want too much? We're looking for satisfaction from stuff that maybe has a short shelf life. What are the things in your life that are keeping you too busy? These are the weeds that need to be pulled. These are the weeds that you need to look at your marriage. You need to begin to evaluate. Okay, what are the things that, I mean, I'm keeping myself busy, not because I have to, but it's almost like because it's just like, I just don't want to engage. <laughs> I don't want to have the conversation. What are those things that need to be pulled? The third weed that needs to be pulled is inattention. Inattention. Now, think of your physical body. Um, healthy people are healthy because they pay attention to their bodies, right? My wife is, um, I, don't, I don't do this one nearly as well as she does. She's like, over the past few years, like she, I thought it was going to be a phase because in the very beginning of our marriage, she's like, all right, I'm just going to start buying healthy foods, healthy snacks, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, eh, she'll grow out of it, right? And then all before I know it, like, our house has been taken over with all of these, like, foods that I don't even know what they are. And she's, like, making stuff. She's like, I made it. It's going to taste like meat. It doesn't taste like meat, babe. It's not meat. So I thought it would be a phase, but it, it's literally become a lifestyle for her. And I look at my kids, and my kids will literally eat practically anything because they've grown up underneath a mom that's like, well, you're going to eat it, and you're not leaving the table until you finish it. Um, my wife has been very intentional about what she puts in her body. She's very intentional about working out. My wife, um, she just, this is crazy. She had a baby a month ago, and she just got done yesterday running 16 miles. What? <laughs> 16 miles. She's actually training right now in, in, uh, in May. She'll actually run a marathon. And, um, and she does, and you look at that, and you say, oh, I wish I could do that. Oh, I wish I, and, Listen, the only reason that what you don't know is the four years of like literally her running every day and can barely run two miles. Of her like literally putting in the, the, the practice and the effort and reading up and training and doing all those things. But listen, she gets the results that she wants because she's intentional about it. Many marriages get to an unhealthy place because they've been neglected. We get to a point where it's like we know that there's this peace in our relationship that has to be dealt with, but we just, we're like, I'm not giving that any attention because it's just going to hurt, and I don't want to dive into that. I don't want to dive into that area. And what ends up happening is, is we become better at responding to crisis than we are at making prevention. <laughs> Remember when you were dating and you paid special attention to that person because you wanted to win them over? Like, you were attentive to everything, everything. 
Like, you knew everything about that person. I remember when we were first dating my wife, I used to watch, like, everything. Like, okay, man, does she like this? Does she like this kind of food? Does this go on? What what does she like so that I can surprise her with something, and it'll be something that she likes, and so that she can know that, okay, you're thinking about me. But the problem happens oftentimes when we win that person over. Now we're like, well, I got them, so I can stop. (laughs) Like, I won them, so good deal. I won the prize. And so we slack on doing the things that made that person attracted to you in the first place. First, first Corinthians uh, says it this way in 9, 24, verse uh, 24 through 27. It says, don't you realize that in a race everyone wins, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it, what? To win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Now watch this in verse 26. So run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Listen, a good marriage is not something that just happens. A good marriage is something where people have worked at it, they've ran the race, they've said, you know what, we're going to discipline ourselves, we're going to be intentional, we're going to have intentional conversations, we're going to work through issues, we're going to talk about the uncomfortable things, we're going to have the conversations that don't make us feel that great inside, but we know that we need to have them. A healthy couple understands that it's important to never stop planting seeds. So what are the areas in your life that you have just become non-existent at dealing with? What are the areas in your relationship where you have not given any attention? Is it, is it your finances? Have you not had a conversation about that? Um, is it your sex life? And oftentimes we don't want to have the conversation about that part of our, our life because it, it can be awkward, right? It can be a conversation where maybe we feel embarrassed or we feel shame for maybe past mistakes or we feel whatever it is. But here's what I've learned. When you start having conversations that feel uncomfortable, the more that you have them, the more comfortable you get with having them. And oftentimes it only takes two or three conversations to just break the ice down and crack that kind of shell that you've been holding up. The fourth thing. Self-righteousness. A weed that often needs to be pulled is self-righteousness. Here's what I mean by that. Do you welcome the moments when your spouse approaches you with concern about something you did? When your spouse says, hey, I don't, man, I love you, but I don't like when you talk to me like that. Instead of you just going, man, thank you for pointing that out in my life, or you're like, who in the heck do you think you are? Don't ever correct me again, right? Let me ask it another way. Are you glad that God gave you a spouse that helps you see yourself with greater clarity? Here's the truth. Oftentimes we think we, like, we are awesome, right? As individuals, we're like, I'm the greatest husband in the world. Here's what, I remember for a while, I was, I was not a pastor here yet. I was working in Jennings with my dad, and we used to go into the office Monday through, through Friday, and I used to work with you know, probably four or five different people in an office every day. And I would go to work, and I couldn't figure it out because I felt like everybody at work liked me. 
It's like everybody at work thought I was awesome. And then I would get home and I'm like, woman, everybody else thinks I'm awesome. What is your deal? You need to get on the train too, right? Here's the problem. She lives with me and she knows me. It's easy to go to work. Like people don't see the ugliest parts of you. They don't see that you go to work and you put on the face and you get your work done and you do the and then you get home and then your wife or your husband, they see the ugliest part of you. The part of you that you try to hide from the rest of the outside world, right? Do you invite your spouse to critique your behavior or do you blame your spouse for your behavior? Let me ask that again. Do you invite your spouse to critique your behavior or do you blame your spouse for your behavior? Oh, well, the reason I act like this is because you do this and if you wouldn't act like this, then I wouldn't say that to you, right? Or if your wife points out something in your life that you know that is sinful, oftentimes, sometimes the human like, thing inside of us is like, well, I wouldn't sin if you wouldn't sin against me, <laughs> right? And rather than just taking it and allowing and knowing that God has put that person in our life for a reason, my, my wife says it like this all the time, and I think it's such a good example. She says, how active is your inner lawyer? Everybody has their own, inner, their own defense lawyer inside, right? When somebody says, hey, you're wrong, and all of a sudden, what happens? Instead of just going, man, thank you so much for correcting me, there is something inside of you that begins to well up. Well, I can give you 10 reasons why I'm not wrong and why you're ugly, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, you have this, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I'm wrong? Well, do you remember what you did last week? And all of a sudden, you start to shift the conversation, and rather than talking about the situation, you have 10 other reasons why they're a terrible person and you're not. How active is your inner lawyer? Do you tend to think that all the weeds in your marriage were brought on by your spouse, or did you actually have something to do with putting them there in the first place? I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we are both very, like, strong-willed people. So when we get in arguments, it's, it's ne- like, our arguments never look like, I've always envied the couple that has kind of been like, hey, babe, I'm sorry that I did, no, you didn't do that. I'm sorry that I sat in your, sp- no, 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 I'm sorry that I'm, like, our arguments don't look like that. I don't, I don't know if you're, what, what yours look like. People that argue like that disgust me, because the truth is, they're not really arguing. They're not. They're just trying to like, oh God, I don't know what to say, so I'm just trying to deflect the situation, right? Have you ever seen, <laughs> you ever seen people like you're in a, a room at a party with somebody else, and you, you're kind of getting in, in an argument with your spouse, and you're like, babe, please don't do that. I love you. I love you, baby. Don't, shut up, please. Okay, just don't embarrass me in front of anybody, okay? <laughs> and then you get in the car, you're like, you! <laughs> Listen. Listen. All the weeds that are in your marriage, it's always a two-way street. It was not just your spouse. You had something to do with it, too. You had something to do with it. And God oftentimes puts that person in our lives to reveal who we really are. And he loves us enough to give us a person that exposes our nakedness, that says, you're not as good as you probably think you are. And God's placed me in your life so that you can become more like Jesus. The fifth weed is fear. 
and this is a very real one, is fear. A lot of us are more motivated by fear than we actually realize. Let me show you a few ways that fear actually can control us. The first way is the fear of failure. Um, you don't want to be a disappointment to your spouse, so in turn you do nothing, right? You don't want to fail them. You don't want to let them down. And, and the reason that you don't want to let them down is because you were wounded in a previous relationship. And maybe it caused some horrible pain to you or to that other person, and you go, man, I don't want to ever make my husband or my wife feel like that. I don't want to ever let them down. Or if your spouse knew that you messed up or you made a mistake, you go, man, okay, they'd never accept me for what I've done, and they would just leave me, right? So we have this fear of failure, and oftentimes the fear of failure causes us to not have the conversations that we really need to have. And oftentimes the fear of failure is that distance, that space that we feel in between our spouse, and it's the reason that we can't connect like we want to. Early on in our marriage, um, and this, this I, I made a bunch of just stupid mistakes financially. You know, I thought like a credit card meant you could just like, you have endless amounts of money, you know. <laughs> I remember early on in the first year or two of our marriage, I, I remember just honest spending things and buying things that I never should have bought. And then looking at the credit card statement going, oh my God, I should probably tell Claire about this, but it'd probably be better if I just kept it from her, right? Because I was so terrified to let her know like, oh my God, look what I've done. And so I hid it for months, didn't tell her about it. And then eventually what happens? They send statements in the mail, <laughs> But this fear of failure, what, what did it end up doing? For, for literally years, I had to go back and go, okay, I promise I'm somebody that you can trust, and that's never going to happen again. But I couldn't just say, like, hey, just trust me after I'd hidden something from her, right? So there was this fear of failure that creeps in for me of, like, oh, no, my, my, my immediate instinct sometimes when I mess up is to just hide because I don't, I don't want to let you know that I've let you down. And the thing that I found in the middle of that is when you're just honest and when you're truthful, my wife just goes, thanks for being honest. Let's fix it. Now let's, let's deal with it. You made a mistake. I make mistakes. Let's move on, right? People are usually a lot more gracious with you if you're just honest with them. If you're just honest, if you just come in humbly and say, you know what, I made, I made a horrible mistake. I can't believe that I put us in this position. It was my fault. I should have never done that. I should have been open with you about it from the beginning. And if I would have approached it like that, my wife would have said, you know what, you're right. You made a mistake. You were an idiot. But let's move forward and we can move on. And that fear of failure can keep us from certain things. But see, John 8.32 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the fear of failure also keeps us from being honest with our spouse. It drives us to a place where we want to hide our sin and hide our weaknesses. You know what I've learned over the past few years? That my, my wife is my greatest asset. And what I mean by that, we, we've gotten to a place in our relationship where I feel like, man, I can tell her anything and what I'm struggling with, what I'm tempted with, what I'm walking through, what's going on in my soul and my heart, like the, the, the dark stuff. We can pray through that, and she does the same with me. And what I've learned over the past few years, the more that we're honest about that stuff, like the closer it actually brings us. It doesn't separate us. 
Because now she has this inroad, this window into my soul of going, man, I know where you're at. The second kind of fear is the fear of man. You're controlled by what your spouse thinks about you, so you work so hard to please them because you don't want to let them down. Um, To many of us, the truth is, and we talked a little bit about this last week, is we're trying to get something from our spouse that only God can give us. We're, we're trying to work so hard to make them happy, to please them, hoping that in return they'll give us something back. The desire for acceptance and respect is not wrong, but it can rule our hearts if we're not careful. It can take over. And so it can be a fear that ultimately begins to take over our relationship. And I want you to remember this. Your spouse can never give you what God can give you. Because at the end of the day, your spouse was never designed to fix your broken soul. Ultimately, Jesus is the only one that can do that. The last weed that must be pulled is laziness. Um, It's hard to admit, but laziness is a big issue in a lot of marriages. Um, So it can look different. Okay, I'm not, when I say laziness, I'm not talking about somebody that just, just lays on a couch all day and doesn't move. That can be a form of it, but oftentimes it doesn't take that form in marriages. It looks a whole lot different. Laziness can be, um, we know we need to talk about the argument that we had, but I want to relax tonight and watch TV, so we'll just push it back and not have the argument. And not have the, um, the conversation, because I want to go to bed on time. <laughs> I mean, have you ever stayed up late arguing over something? three, four in the morning. Or we know that we're not on the same page financially, but working through it simply isn't very exciting. And we know that we're going to have to cut certain things and it's going to be painful and we don't want to have that conversation. Or as I've said earlier, we know that we need to discuss our sexual relationship, but we don't because it's uncomfortable and we just don't want to have it. So laziness can look a lot different, but here's the truth. Laziness is rooted in self-love. It is, here's, it is the ability to take ourselves off the hook. Laziness is the ability to take ourselves off the hook. And here's what I mean by that. It's believing good things come your way without you putting in the work. Well, I serve Jesus and hopefully that this will just work out. At the end of the day, if you want something better, if you want fruit to come out of your marriage, you're going to have to be willing to drill down and put in the work. Laziness expects more from others than we require from ourselves. Laziness looks at our spouse and says, well, I expect you to perform, but I don't have to. I expect you to do, but I mean, I'm not going to do. Proverbs 24 Verse 30 through 31 says this, I passed by the field of a sluggard or a lazy man, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. See, this goes back to the analogy of the garden that I gave you in the beginning. What is it saying in here? The lazy man meant the thorns in the weeds overtook his garden. Because he got to a place where he finally, maybe he was picking the weeds at one point, and he finally got to a place where, okay, I can skip a day. 
if you're anything like me going to the gym, like if I skip more than two days, I don't go back for another four months. (laughs) It's just the truth. Like if I break the routine, if I break the cycle for more than two or three days, like I'm not going to go back for another four or five months. Another proverb puts it this way. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. See, often marriages are troubled by discontent and unfilled desire, and Proverbs connects this to laziness. So where does laziness ultimately lead us in marriage? It leads to disappointment, it leads to discouragement, it leads to discontentment, and ultimately it's going to lead to future trouble. And today, we've got to make a commitment in our marriages to say, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to start pulling the weeds. Here's, the reason that I use the garden analogy is because no matter how overgrown the garden is, if you just get in and do the work, you can clean it up. If you're willing to get a few cuts, if you're willing to get a few bruises, if you're willing to get dirty, you can clean it up. In every healthy garden, you're going to have to pull weeds and plant seeds. Pull weeds and plant seeds over and over and over again. Listen, never underestimate the power of encouragement. Never underestimate the power of encouragement. Man, I, I, I can literally light my wife's day up by simply just encouraging her. By leaving her a note. By leaving her a, just a quick, you know, paragraph and putting it on the kitchen counter. I, about a few years ago, I told my wife, because um, I, I tend to not be, I think a lot of things, like I, I think good things about my wife all the time. I just, I, they usually don't come vocal. <laughs> I usually don't get them from here to here. <laughs> and so the other a few years ago, I was really thinking like, man, how do I, how do I communicate to her that, that like I'm always thinking about her. She's always on my mind, but I'm never saying it, okay? So, um, a few months ago, I actually, I was looking through, um, I think I was in Walmart or something, and I'm looking through all these different cards and these papers, and I see this book, and it has like a hundred, um, like, tear-out, like, cards. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy that, I'm going to stick it in my car, and every single day, like, I'm going I'm to put it right on the, like, the dashboard of my car, and every day I'll see it, so every day I'll just write a quick note, leave it on the kitchen counter. Do you know how much that has changed my communication with my wife or her just feeling appreciated or accepted or that I'm thinking about her? And for me, it had to come down to a like, okay, I got to do something where I can remember it. Because oftentimes I think great things about my wife. I just forget to say them. I just don't say them. I'm not a very, I don't, I'm not the type of person that needs a whole lot of encouragement. So I don't, I forget to give it oftentimes. So I have to do intentional things to remind myself. So plant seeds of encouragement in your marriage, of prayer, of community, of commitment, of trust, of romance. But listen, that's only going to happen in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. So as I bring this to a close, I want you to understand one thing. The whole reason that we're having this conversation today, the whole reason that we're doing this marriage series, the whole reason that we do this every single year is for one reason and one reason only. We want to get you talking. Like, this is meant to be taken home and say, okay, 
what did you connect with? What was God doing in your heart? What was God speaking to you? What, what weed in our marriage needs to be pulled? And, and I just want to challenge the husbands in here. If you start that conversation, I guarantee you your wife will have it with you. you start that conversation, I guarantee you she will gladly follow along. And oftentimes it's all it takes. And listen, it doesn't have to be like this deep, elaborate conversation that you have to think through. It can literally be getting in the car and once the kids are maybe down for a nap, what did you think about that? What stuck out to you? Is there anything that you feel like in our marriage, did, did, did any of those weeds connect? Do we need to talk about those things? Do we need to pull out anything? And whatever it is, you just start having a conversation. And, and here's the beauty of that. When you start having the conversation, she might point some things out. He might point some things out. And then you know what you can just lovingly do? Babe, will you forgive me? And here's the thing. If you can't forgive your spouse, here's what you're saying to them. That your sin against me is greater than my sin against God. you can't forgive your spouse, you're taking your own sin and saying, well, their sin is greater and mine isn't that bad and God can forgive me. Listen, if God can forgive me, if God can forgive you, he can forgive anything in your marriage. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. I know some of us have walked through some dark times and we've walked through valleys and we've made decisions and choices that we wish we never would have made. But guess what? It's never too late. It's never too late. God has you with the person that he has you with for a reason. And he wants you to live a life on purpose, on mission, where, man, that you're pulling those weeds and you're planting good seeds and you can live a life that, man, you like each other, you love each other, you're happy to be together. But I want you to understand, men, before you can even have the conversation about the weeds, if you're not following Jesus, you need to pray this prayer in just a few moments. You need to come to a place, husband, wife, wherever you're at. You cannot do anything that I have told you just based on the, the fact of like sheer willpower. I'm just going to go home and do it. You need a force that is much greater than you, and that's Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit living inside of you to be able to do the hard things, to be able to make the decisions that you need to make. And that's only through God that that's 